Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. This is week three of our series called Sovereign. This will be the last in this series. And today, I want to just start by trying to help you memorize a psalm. I had some people walk out in the first service and they said, you know, you tried to help us memorize this psalm. And he said, I knew right away, there's no way I'm ever going to memorize that. So hopefully you've got a little better outlook than that. Uh, I want to just, we'll just put this on the screen and let's read this together. It's, it's really two sentences. And if you can read these two sentences and put them together, we're going to read it a couple of times and then I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and we'll see how we do. All right. So read this with me. First sentence. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord. Okay, let's try that again. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord. One more time. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord. Now the second part. Even as we put our hope in you. Even as we put our hope in you. Say it all together and then we're going to close our eyes. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Okay, let's close our eyes. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Okay, not bad, not bad. How many of you cheated? It's church, be careful. Today, I want to talk to you a little bit about hope, and I especially want to talk about the tension that all of us have faced and will face or maybe are facing as it relates to hope. It is the tension of trying to maintain hope in what seems like a hopelessly broken world. If you've ever placed your hope in something or in someone and that something let you down or that, that someone uh, you know, left or let you down in some way, you understand this tension. How do you maintain hope in a world that at times seems to be hopelessly broken? How do you maintain hope in, in people? How do you maintain hope in situations? How do you maintain hope in, in relationships? It seems harder and harder to do in this world. You know, if you were promised something at work, and and they said, hey, if you'll work hard, if you'll show up early, if you'll go the extra mile, we'll reward you by doing these things, give you this. And you do that, and you show up early, and you work really hard, and, you know, you're kind to everybody, and your boss asks you to stay late, and you stay late, and you do all the things that that you're asked to do, and and your your hopes are in advancement. Your hopes are in recognition. Your hopes are in that you're going to be given a little extra money for your troubles, or at least that you'll be identified in some way. And you found yourself with this sense of despair because at the end of the day, nothing happened. Nobody recognized you. You didn't get anything extra for it. And you, you think to yourself, well, why even try? Then what you're doing is you are experiencing the tension that I'm talking about. How do I maintain hope in what seems to be a hopelessly broken world? If you have not found yourself facing this tension yet, just get ready because it is coming. Aren't you glad you got up and came to church this morning, right, for this encouraging message? Hang with me, okay, hang with me. If you've ever caught yourself saying, why try? Why even go on? Why study? Why apply myself? If you've ever said out loud or to yourself, what's the point? Why show up? Why do I put myself through this? What's the point of committing? People's commitments today don't mean anything. What's the point of investing years into a company that's not going to invest anything in me? If you've ever found yourself saying, what's the point? What's the use? You have bumped into the inevitable question that everyone will ask, how do you maintain hope in a hopelessly broken world? 
So as we launch into a discussion this morning, I want to give you a de- the definition of the word hope. Now this isn't the Webster's definition, this is our definition for this room and our conversation this morning. Hope, the person or thing in which your expectations are centered. The hope or thing that your expectations are centered. These are the things that you lean into. These are the things that, that when you look into the future, that's where your hope is. It's in that. It's in relationship. It's in, it's in a company. It's in a profession. It's in an ability. It's in money. It's in your talent. It's something outside of you generally, something maybe connected to you that you have centered your expectations on. Hope is a little like a ladder that you lean up against a wall and you hope that wall will hold. You hope that that wall is strong enough to, to maintain and to, to keep the ladder propped up. And, and it, it's, the interesting thing is um, when we're born, and none of us really remembers doing this, this is a subconscious thing we do, but when we're first born, we only have really one thing that we can lean our ladder up against, and that's mom and dad, you know, in the hopes that they're going to take care of us, and they're going to provide for us, and they're going to, you know, just little itty-bitty, that's all we've got. We, we, we can't do anything for ourselves. We're completely dependent on them, and it wasn't a conscious decision that we made, but that's where our hope lies. But as we get older, what we've done is we've moved our ladder off of mom and dad, and we've propped our ladder up against something else. And and you, you've propped it up against something that will take care of you. Your ability maybe to take care of yourself, your ability to connect, your ability to get a scholarship, your ability to do well in school, maybe to maintain relationships or attract attention or to marry someone that can show, you know, that shows some promise in some way. And all of us from time to time and at different stations in life make a decision to lean the ladder of hope onto something that we think Uh, you know, will support our ambitions and our aspirations and our hopes for the future. And we're never really aware of this, but even as you walked in and sat down today, even as you do that, you have placed your hopes in something. Your ladder of hope is leaned up against something this morning. And because we are unaware, we go through life unaware that we're hoping, and, and really the only time we think about this is when we feel hopeless, The only time we think about this is when whatever that is we've leaned our ladder up against somehow fails us, and now we we start to think, well, wait a minute. What's going on now? A sense of hopelessness or despair or a helplessness is another word for it. Uh, It's simply that feeling that I've leaned my ladder against something that isn't coming through for me. That thing that I've centered my expectations on is not meeting my expectation, and it's not going to happen for me. You know, I was hoping that I would have kids by this age, and it hasn't happened yet. I was hoping that I would be married by this age, and it hasn't happened yet. You know, I I thought I would be able to retire by this point, and that hasn't happened yet. It's only when that thing that we've leaned our ladder against doesn't come through for us and doesn't provide for us the thing that we expected it to provide that we begin to experience and think about the whole subject of hope. Otherwise, we just go day to day with our ladder leaning up against something totally unaware. It's only when we begin to experience the free fall, only when we bump up against the tension of how do I maintain hope? How do I go on? How do I keep trying? It's only then that we realize that perhaps we have leaned our ladder up against something that is perhaps not as secure as we thought that it would be or should be. All of us today have a ladder leaning somewhere. 
And the question is, how do you maintain hope in a world that if you have not discovered it yet, is hopelessly broken? <laughs> Welcome to church. <laughs> I hope you're encouraged. Um, when you open the Bible, the Old Testament to the New Testament, you're instructed to place your hope in God. We're instructed to lean our ladder against God and his provision for us, that he has invited us to call him Father, and we are instructed to lean our ladder of hope onto a relationship with him. And we quoted that verse a few minutes ago, may your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we place our hope in you. Place my ladder, place, uh, you know, lean my ladder against you. Paul was, a, uh, was writing to a young guy named Timothy, and uh, Timothy was a pastor. Timothy had all kinds of people in his charge, and some of those people were wealthy. And, uh, you know, Paul basically wrote to Timothy and said, Timothy, you tell those rich people not to place their hope and their faith in their riches. Tell them not to place their hope and their faith in their connections, in their high positions. But tell them to place their hope in the Lord. In other words, Timothy, tell them to move their ladder from hard work, move their ladder from from I'll, I'll save enough, I'll jump high enough, I'll work hard enough, I'll follow through enough. Somehow it's going to work out for me. Paul says, tell them eventually, even the successful wealthy ones, to be careful not to lean their ladder there, but to lean it against the Lord. Now, you're probably sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, well, of course Brett would say that. He's a preacher. That's what he's supposed to say. He's supposed to tell us that that God's the only way and God's the only thing. But even if you've been a Christian for a long time and you've been believing in God your whole life, all of us, especially in the United States of America, we have a really hard time with the idea of putting our hope in the Lord. And the reason for that is because we are the best in the world at creating walls that we think will hold up pretty good. We're in the business of creating walls that will hold up. Because we believe and have been told that if you get the right education, everything's going to go great for you. We believe and we have been told that if you're good-looking enough, if, if, you're, you know, if you get the right surgery, if you make enough money, if you have enough connections, if you marry well enough, if you save well, if you're disciplined, if you say no to drugs, well, you know, fill in the blank, if you'll just do these things, if you'll make the right decisions, if you do it all right and you be really careful and you're really connected, there is certainly something in this world that you can lean your ladder up against that will hold for the long term. So we do everything within our power to put our hope in things that we think we can control, that we think we can create. Things that we've been told that we should place our hope in things that we think will hold the ladder. And then if you're a Christian, what you do is you do something like this. God, I've leaned my ladder up against this job. I pray that you'll help me to keep this job. I pray that you'll help me to make good money at this job. I pray that you'll help me to be able to make it to the job every day. God, I've got my ladder leaned up against this, and I need you to bless this particular thing. And oftentimes, that's what our prayer life looks like and sounds like. God, this is my plan, and I just need you to come along and support this plan. My hope is in this. Now make this pay off for me. And through Scripture and through people that are older and wiser than us, we would hear, I don't care how smart you are, I don't care how careful you are, I don't care how connected, what you own, what you have, at some point in your life you are going to run into a hopelessly broken world. 
Now that's the bad news before the good news. And Paul would say, you know, you can try, you can be careful, you can plan, you can work hard, you can get a great education, but at some point in your life, you're going to begin to realize that nothing, nothing, nothing is secure in this world. And so God says to you and me, hey, you got to do this stuff, but do not put your hope there. Do not lean your ladder against those things. Today, we're going to look at a few kind of confusing verses, and if you get confused by what we read, it's not you. Uh, it's, it's the Apostle Paul's fault, because he can sometimes write in a way that for us seems confusing. We're going to look at Romans chapter 8, if you have your Bible, Romans chapter 8. And for the next few moments, Paul explains where our hope should be. But Paul will also explain the, the futility for any of us to lean our ladders up against those things that we think we can control or that we can predict in the future. And he's going to make this case, and I'm going to be honest with you, it's, it's, it's a little negative at, at the beginning, all right? And you're like, could it be any more negative, Brett? I mean, you, you know, 15 minutes now, that's all you've said. But at the end, he's going to come back around and he's going to say, this is why it's important for you and for me to begin to place our hope in the Lord. Now, uh, we're going to start in verse 20, and I'm going to tell you what it means before we look at it. And uh, what we're going to read today is so rich, and it's so relevant to where we are as a culture and as a people. Re Romans chapter 8, verse 20, he's going to go back and he's going to draw on an event that we see in the book of Genesis. We, we would refer to it as the fall of man. It's that time when sin entered the world, that horrible time when sin entered the world and, you know, you might be here today and you might say, Brad, I don't believe in sin. Well, then we have a difference of opinion, but we can both agree that, that um, you know, there are things that happen in the world that are bad things. We all, we all have been touched by things that have happened in the world that were bad. And so on that, we can agree. When we think about sin, we usually think about an incident. We think about, um, you know, we think about that and we say, well, I did that and that was sinful. I shouldn't have done that. That was sinful. If you're, if you're in my business, people will walk up to you and they'll say, they'll describe something and they'll say, is that a sin? And really what they're asking me is, can we do that? <laughs> As if I have, you know, if I give them permission, it's like God's not going to get them if I give them permission. Um, don't do that to me. I'm not, I don't have, I'm, that's a way above my pay grade, all right? Um, we think of sin as something that you do. We think of sin as an event, so this entity but the Bible views sin as a disease. The Bible views sin as something that is toxic and fatal. And Scripture teaches that when sin entered the world, it entered the world as a fatal disease. It impacted everything. Relationships, creation, the relationship between uh, people and creation. It affected animals. It affected weather. It affected everything. Everything in the world was impacted by sin. It is a disease that has infiltrated this entire creation, and it is fatal, which means that according to Genesis, everything living eventually dies. You ever notice that? Every living thing eventually dies, and you say, well, Brett, of course it does. You know, I, I watched I watched old Rafiki hold up Simba, and I heard about the circle of life. You know, I know that everything spins down, and, and it's all going to eventually go away. You know, old Rafiki taught me that a long time ago. But Genesis teaches, Scripture affirms, Paul talks about the reason everything in the world dies is because sin has polluted and corrupted everything. 
And that's his case for the argument that it's a bad decision to place your hope in things that pertain to this world. Now let me just read the verse to you. It's Romans chapter 8, verse 20. For the creation was subjected to frustration. Whenever you're frustrated, it's because of sin. Did you know that? Whenever you get frustrated, it's because of sin in some way. The reason that the world can be so frustrating, you know, why won't my kids, why won't my mama, why won't my boss, why can't people see the world the way I see it? Why won't people give me a chance? I'm so frustrated. Paul says, welcome to the world. That's that's the world we live in. And since sin has entered the world, God has made the decision to let sin run its course. In other words, God's not going to step in and intercept sin. He said, you know what? It's come in. You you brought it in. I'm going to let it go, and I'm going to let it do its thing. I'm going to let it run its course. When sin entered the world, God basically said, I'm going to let it go like a wave. It is going to touch everything. It is going to impact everything, and it's going to corrupt everything. And Paul says, creation was subjected to frustration. The sin in the world is going to run its course, and that, that frustrates us. So this is the whole verse. For the creation was subjected to frustration in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. Now, if you have a a pen in your hand, you might want to circle that phrase. Bondage to decay. That means everything in this world is decaying. If you're a scientist or if you're a biology person or you, you you really like science, I'm going to use a couple of words or phrases that you're going to hear and go, oh, I know what that is. So there's this thing called the second law of thermodynamics. It's a law in, in the universe, and you, there's no way around it. Another phrase for it, you'll hear the word entropy. Sometimes you hear it called entropy. But the second law of thermodynamics basically says that everything is spinning down, that it gets an impetus and it has some energy to it, but as time goes on, if you do not put more energy into it, it will eventually spin itself down and it will eventually decay into a form of death of one kind or another. Uh, entropy says that if you don't have an infusion of energy into something, that something eventually cannot continue and it won't keep going. You get this. Every time you get hungry and you put something, when you get hungry, what do you do? You eat. You ever get so run down, you're like, I can't do another thing until I put some food in my system. You're demonstrating entropy. That's the second law of thermodynamics that says if you don't eat, you're not going to make it much longer. Every time your car runs out of gas and you pull over because you know if you don't get gas, you're going to be out on the highway somewhere, you're going to run out of gas, and you're going to be stranded. So what you do ever so often is you pull your car into a gas station, you put the hose in in the tank, and you fill your car back up with gas, and you keep going. That's the, you're exercising, you're, you're a slave to the second law of thermodynamics. When your car breaks down and a part has to be fixed, that's because your car wore out. If you're in the house and you're like, man, that, that shelf just fell, that's because of the second law of thermodynamics. Entropy has taken hold, and things are decaying, things are running down, things need energy put back into them. And so every time you wake up in the morning and you look in the mirror and you go, oh, goodness, what is that? That is bondage to decay. That's what that is, okay? That's the second law of thermodynamics. It's running down. It's, it's spinning down. And it's kind of funny, and it's, you know what? It's not very encouraging 
But that's the case that Paul's trying to make. He says everything is decaying, including your relationships, including your wealth. Everything ultimately has the ring and the smell of decay. And because we're Americans, this is how we think. By golly, I'm not going to decay. I'm going to work out. I'm going to be in better shape. I'm going to save enough money. I'm going to build a big enough house. I'm going to order things. I'm going to have that surgery. I, you know, people say I look young for my age. That's not going to happen to me. I'm going to study hard. I'm going to be careful. When I was younger, much younger, I, I used to play a lot of softball. I've played a lot of softball in my life. It was one of the great joys of my life was to be able to play softball. And when I was 28 or 30 years old, I was living fairly close to my parents. And my little brother had this group of friends that were kind of obnoxious, and they talked all the time. And they, talked, they had this softball team that they, they had, and they were just obnoxious. And my team was in their league. So when they would come around our house and they would, you know, they would start chirping, I would start chirping back. Well, my dad got, was, uh, was witness to all this and realized that there was going to be a game between these two teams, my team and, and my little brother's friend's team. And he looked at mom and he said, we're going to that. Now, my dad never really watched me play sports of any kind, but he wanted to see how that was going to work out. So he showed up for that night's game, and it was a, you know, it was a tournament thing. It was a big deal, and it was, a big, it was going to be a big game. And uh, it was a great game. In fact, I don't even think there was an error committed on either side. Think about that in a softball game, not an error committed on either side. And uh, it was a great game, and I think we won. If I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure we won that game. Well, after the way I played softball as a young man, really, my whole life, is I just I play like my hair's on fire. This is when I had hair diving into bases, you know, diving after balls, running as hard as I could, just full energy, go as hard as I can until they say the game's over. Um, at my first church, they used to call me Pigpen because I, by the end of the game, I was just covered head to toe in dirt. You wouldn't want me in your car. You know, we, we took the worst thing we could find to bring me home. I'd stand in the shower and it'd just be mud. That's just the way I played. And dad walked up to me after the game. I'm putting all my gear into my bag. I'm getting ready to sling it over my shoulder. And dad comes walking up. He's shaking his head. And I said, what's the matter? He said, son, if you keep doing that, if you keep playing that way, you're going to tear up your knees and your legs and your ankles. Your fingers are going to be shot. He said, Brett, you cannot do that. You, you can't do that to your body. Now, I'm 28 30, 32 years old. What's my response? Ah, I'll be fine. Dad, I'm going to be fine. Right? When you're that age, you're going to live forever. You're bulletproof. Nothing wrong. Dad, look at me. I'm fine. Everything works and everything moves. And he's like, I'm just telling you, it, it, it's going to get worse. And then <laughs> I was here in Terre Haute. This wasn't too long ago. And I was playing softball. I was late 50s early 50s late 40s that's when that really started to hit me and there was a pop-up on the infield first of all I used to play shortstop and then they had moved me to first base what does that tell you right doesn't have any range anymore we're not going to make him throw anything let's just put him over here where he can't hurt us that's really what that was there was a pop-up and I was running for the ball and it was that was like one of those moments where you have this out-of-body kind of thing like you can see yourself and what you look like 
and I've got my glove out, and I'm running after this ball, and I know my mouth is gaping open, and it hit me. You look like an old man. <laughs> and it was so depressing. It was so, it was like I drove home like, I'm old. It's awful. I can't, I can't hit like I used to. I can't throw like I used to. I'm not as fast as I used to be. You know, I'd still die for balls, but I don't catch them anymore. <laughs> you know, I just look pitiful. I just look pitiful. And we run, and we diet, and we work out, and we take vitamins, and we use creams, and some people use steroids, you know, and they, they work against it. But at the end of the day, it is bondage to decay. You're in bondage to decay. In 1997, Mother Teresa died. What? Mother Teresa? Mother Teresa, if anybody had connections to God, it was Mother Teresa. If anybody had served their heart out, had given everything they had, if anybody had a pure heart and a pure mind and, and walked with God, it was Mother Teresa. If anybody was a servant, and, and I mean, she dedicated her whole life to caring for the poor, and this, this pure, amazing body that housed such intelligence and compassion died. Listen, if Mother Teresa can't beat the second law of thermodynamics, you can't either. We live in a world that is in bondage to decay, and God is going to let sin run its course, and it, it destroys everything it touches. Happily ever after is a fairy tale. That's not real. You see these couples, and this is going to be depressing, just bear with me. I promise it gets better. But you see these couples. Maybe you've got a grand, like grandparents that were this, what I'm about to describe. And you watch them, and you know, they, they love each other. They just have such a love for each other, even in their old age. And you catch them from time to time holding hands and looking at each other like two cows dying in a hailstorm, you know. It just, you just... And, and you're like, oh, you know, and all the women go, oh, I wish we had a love like that. You know, I want, and you look at your spouse like, why can't we be like that? Why, why can't you do that, you know? Because he's figured it out. The old man's figured it out that if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. So he just spends his whole life trying to make mama happy. And they, they have these great conversations. And they, you know, when they go to the wedding and it's time for everybody to get up and dance, they get up and they dance together. And everybody looks at him and they're like, oh. And it's awesome. And once in a while, they talk about sex, and everybody's like, can you believe they're, they're talking about it? I mean, can you believe that? And then something happens. One of them gets sick. And they're not with, they're not with us anymore. And they're gone. And that love affair is over. And it just ends terribly. Many of you know that my dad is not well. He's sick. And it's not going to get better. He, he's a sick man. It just, it gets worse. I was able to, uh, Dee Dee and I went to the Reds game the other night. So we had to, we, we were over in the Cincinnati area. So that's where I'm from. And, and so we slipped by to spend the night with mom and dad. And, and so I was with dad yesterday morning. And, you know, it just, every time I go home, it's a little worse. Every time I go home, he's a little weaker. Every time I go home, you know, the, the, the light's a little dimmer in his eyes. You can just see it. It's just, it's the bondage to decay. It's, 
entropy, it's second law of thermodynamics. He's running down. His body is worn out. And this is a man that drove a truck for years and was strong as an ox, could do anything, could fix anything. There was purpose in his steps. So, you know, I can see this strong man moving heavy things, lifting things, fixing things. Mom loves to tell the story about how she was trying to reach for something in a, in a cabinet one time and she couldn't quite reach it and so dad was going to get it and so he went to nudge her out of the way and he kind of nudged her and she went flying across the kitchen because he didn't realize how strong he was, you know, like, <laughs> and there she went. I, he was strong as an ox and now I go home and he, he can't, sometimes he cannot hardly hold a coffee cup with one hand. You know, it's just, it's running down. It's, it's, I was with him yesterday morning <laughs> Um, you know, I push him, I wheeled him in his wheelchair up to his place at the table where we had breakfast and got ready to leave, and he said, somebody gave him an, a scooter. They've got one of those jazzy, like, mobility scooters, and, and uh, it's brand new. I mean, it's like a $5,000 thing somebody gave to him, and it needs batteries. Whoever bought it, they never used it, and it's been sitting, and it, but it's beautiful. And so I was getting ready to leave, and he said, Brett, take me out. He said, roll me out. I want to see my scooter. So I pushed him out, you know, and we wheeled up, and he's looking at it. And I said, you going to chrome it out like you did your motorcycle? And he said, well, if I could find some chrome, I'd put some on there somewhere because he loves chrome. And I said, Dad, you want to sit in that? You want to sit in it? He said, yeah, put me in it. So, you know, I have to uh, you brace yourself, and I have to pull this heavy. He's big. He's a big man. I pull him up out of his chair, and we get him situated, and he falls into the scooter, and he sat there, you know, and discovered that it has a horn. Yeah, my mother gave a sermon right there. Don't you ever blow that horn at me. Don't you ever. So that's, a, that's coming. I know that's coming. It's not getting better. It gets worse every time I go home. He's a little sicker, a little weaker. His mind's not quite as sharp as it used to be. And you ask yourself, why does it have to end that way? Why does it have to be like that? Newsflash, when sin entered the world, it corrupted everything. It destroyed everything. It, it touches everything. It is the world of decay. It is the bondage to decay. And you say, well, Brett, I hope this is going somewhere good because you're just depressing me. Because please tell me this is going to end in a happy place. We'll get to happy in just a minute. But here's the thing, the reason that we lean our ladder up against the wrong wall is because we really don't believe everything that I just told you. <laughs> we really don't believe it. We think we can be slicker than that. We think we can work harder than that. We think we can save enough. We think we can have the best retirement or the best place or the best, we think we can keep our mind young. We think we can take enough drugs or pills or vitamins we, we think all that. We believe that we can beat the odds if we're careful enough, if we're cool enough, if we're slick enough, we are going to figure it out somehow. And Paul's saying, listen, before I get to the good news, I need you to embrace the bad news. You're not going to figure it out. It doesn't get better. You don't get the magic pill that keeps you alive forever. You're not going to beat the odds. The creation, which is really all of us, is in bondage to decay. And yes, we have happy birthdays, and yes, we have great vacations, and yes, 
engagements are awesome and honeymoons are wonderful and you know there's some highlights and some mountaintop experiences along the way and there's fun and joy but the movement the momentum is towards sin is toward decay and it it's it's we're in bondage to that kind of frustration Paul's going to go on in the following verses there in 22 and 23 and he's going to say the tension this tension creates for us a longing for something better that's why sometimes you get depressed because you know it could you know that there's something your heart longs for eternity your heart longs for eden your heart knows that it was created for something perfect and beautiful and mature and wonderful and it knows that it is not fully experiencing that and so when you get frustrated that's part of what's going on and you're asking yourself is there a world where we live happily ever after where relationships stay good and people stay healthy And it forces us to look outside of this life. And verse 24 says this, For in this hope, the hope that there is more to this life, the hope that one day we won't always be in bondage to decay, for in this hope we were saved. That when you became a Christian, you became linked to a bigger and better story with a much better ending. But it goes beyond this life. That is what we have been saved to and then we skip to verse 25 but if we hope for what we do not yet have we wait for it patiently you know what does that mean it means that we do not give up hope but our hope is not in this world and it can't be in this life because eventually that hope is is always in one way or another going to be disappointed and it's going to be discouraged because it's in bondage to decay and it's full of destruction Paul says, Christians, there is hope. You you have something to look forward to. You have something to wait patiently for. It's not here yet, but it's coming. And then in verses 26 through 30, he says, God understands your frustration. He, He understands the disappointment. He understands that when your ladder falls and you stand there in all your destruction and you just want pulling your hair out, he understands that sense of of hurt and disappointment. And sometimes you just kind of groan on the inside. And Paul says, listen, God prays for you. He, you know, that the Spirit of God prays for you with with words that can't even be uttered. Have you ever had a, 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 what what word do I want to use? A despair so deep that you couldn't even put words to it. That, That you didn't even know, you know, it's like you went to pray about it and you didn't even know what to pray. It's like, God, it just hurts It hurts so bad. I don't even know what to pray. I'm disappointed. If I'm totally honest, I'm mad at you. You know, I'm I'm mad at everybody. I'm mad at the world. I don't understand this. And I don't even really know what to pray. Paul says the Spirit prays with groanings, utterances that are so deep that they're too deep for words. It's that time when you get on your knees and all you can do is just put your face to the ground and say, God, And God says, I understand. I understand the pointlessness of it. I understand that the world leaves you at a place that makes you feel bitter and used. And then Paul, he's going to turn a corner in verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? Brett, what's that mean? Look at verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, 
If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? The point being that as God becomes the focus of your hope, and as he becomes the center of your expectations, in the love of your heavenly Father, that is where you will find that things do not disappoint. And then we come to verse 38. And if this was a movie, and there was a soundtrack along with the movie, this is where the music would start to swell. This is where things would, you, you, would, de you would detect a change in, in everything. It's all gonna be different. And this is where that would change. Verse 38, for I am convinced, and remember, this is Paul. Paul has been stoned, he's been shipwrecked, he's been snake bit, he's been scourged with the cat of nine tails, he's been beaten and left for dead. This guy has experienced the worst that the world had to offer. And he says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else, divorce, isolation, abandonment, job loss, when will I retire, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul's saying, listen, you want to put your hope in something that's going to last? Something that won't disappoint you? Something that will come through every single time? If you want to put your hope in something that, and remain hopeful in a hopelessly broken world, you have got to move your ladder from anything else that you have leaned your ladder against, and you have got to lean your ladder against the faithfulness of a loving God. Because only there will you find enduring hope. And you say, well, Brett, that's great. But what am I supposed to do in the meantime? It means you do your best. It means you do your best to live out your kingdom values in a world where they aren't necessarily received. It means that you do your best, you love like crazy, even though people don't love you back because your hope, it, you don't lose hope because your hope was never in that to begin with. It means that you serve like crazy even when no one serves you back and you don't lose hope because that's not where your hope was to begin with. It means you forgive like crazy even when people don't forgive you back because your hope was never placed in those things. Do you plan? Of course you do. Do you have ambition? Of course you do. Do you leverage your talents and your skills? Yes, you do. Do you save? Do you love? Do you engage the world? Yes, yes, you do all that. But do you place your hope and your hard work and your education? No. Like Jesus, like the Apostle Paul, like Mother Teresa, you live life as if this is all there is and you love people like crazy and you do your best and you try to accomplish everything that you can using the talents and skills that have been given to you by God. But at the end of the day, you say, in spite of all that and along with all that, my hope is in my heavenly Father. That is where I have placed my ladder and that is where I have placed my hope. It means that you go to bed at night and on those nights when you go to bed and your prayers sound like this, God, this was a perfect day. God, this day couldn't have been any better. The mosquitoes didn't even bite. That's how good this day was, God. It was awesome. 
God, I just want to thank you for how perfect this day was, but God, my hope is still in you and not in the day. And then there are those days when you go to bed and everything went wrong. God, it was a terrible day. And they didn't call me back and I'm still jobless and I'm still broke and I'm still lonely. I'm so disappointed, I'm discouraged. But my hope is not in any of those things. My hope is in you and what you have done for me. God is the only one who can sustain my hope in difficult times. Whatever you do, whatever you place your hope on, will determine whether you are able to remain hopeful in a world where things are hopelessly broken. Where are you leaning your ladder? Where is your hope? What are you hoping for? I'm not saying you don't have plans and dreams. I'm not saying you don't follow through on doing your best. But where is your hope? When you lie in bed at night and you're staring at the ceiling thinking about your life, where is your hope? And where have you centered your expectations? And if they are anywhere other than in a relationship with God and his love for you, it is a misplaced hope. And it is my hope that eventually and in some way you will figure out that you need to place your ladder up against something else because otherwise you're going to be disappointed. We live in a hopelessly broken world. And these walls will all eventually crumble. The only way to maintain hope in a hopelessly broken world is to place your ladder up against the grace, love, and compassion of a holy God that supplied his son to die for you and me. That's our only hope. And that's how you live in a hopelessly broken world. That's how you give your best. That's how you do your best. That's how you stay positive. That's how you honor God. Say, God, I know I'm in the middle of a whole jacked up mess and part of it's my own doing because I'm a sinful person. But God, my hope's not in any of that. My hope is in you. I know you died for me. And I know that's real. I want to pray for you. Um, before I do that, I just want you to know that we'll have people down front to pray with you if that's something that you would like to have happen this morning. Just come down front and people will be here to meet you and, and counsel with you for just a minute, pray with you. Uh, otherwise, I hope you have a fantastic week. You can tell it's going to be Vacation Bible School. Um, you'll recognize everybody that worked in Vacation Bible School next Sunday. Their hair will be standing straight up. I may even have hair standing straight up by the end of next week. Let's pray together. Father, really easy to get depressed by what we heard today. Because we, we're kind of oriented to things getting better. We, we, we're fixers. We like things to be put together and fixed and we don't want to hear talk about things going south we don't want to hear talk about people dying god we don't like seeing dad get sicker and sicker that who wants to talk about that who wants to hear that where's where's any hope in that father the hope is in you because my hope is firmly fixed on the idea that the day my father does pass away he knows you and he'll have a new body, a better body. And he'll be in the presence of your love and compassion and grace. And there'll be no better place for him to be than that. That's where my hope is. On this planet, broken. On this planet, sickness. On this planet, discouragement, disappointment, rage. Our hope 
is in you. And we lean our ladder against you and your love and your compassion for us. And Father, we pray these things now in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.